Yo, what's up, everyone? I'm excited about today's guest on the show, and his name is Paul Young, or William Paul Young. And uh, Paul Young, you know, his name should be very familiar to a lot of us because back in 2007, he published a highly praised and controversial book, The Shack, uh, which became a bestseller that sold millions and millions of copies. And after its success, he wrote two more books, uh, one being Crossroads and his latest, Eve, uh, which just came out last month, I believe, and is already receiving a lot of positive reviews. So, Paul, it's good to have you on the show, man. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Joshua. <laughs> awesome. You know, one of the things I love just by watching, you know, a couple of your videos and, you know, even in our email exchange is that, you know, in spite of your success, you know, I, I do sense humility in you, <laughs> you know, seriously. And, and I see you uh, being your message where you emphasize a lot about relationship. And, you know, it's cool because, you know, we also have uh, some great friends in common. And, you know, and now you just released your latest book, Eve. And I was like, dude, I got to get Paul Young on the show, man. And so so here you are, <laughs> you know, and um, thanks. Yeah, you know, I'm old enough. Either I become a real ass or, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, there's some humility that's actually been been uh, been embraced. <laughs> oh, no, it's you all know, good. It's all you good. can't do humility, you know, it's <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those things that uh, you can choose to humble yourself, sure, but it, yeah. but it takes some take some self-assessment and uh, I'm old yeah. enough to have done plenty of that. So. Oh, no, no, it's all good. You know, you know, you have, a, you have a very inspiring story, you know, and, and, you know, just as I do with every guest that I have on the show for the first time, you know, I like for you to share it with my listeners, you know, your journey, you know, I heard you were a missionary kid and how you, and like to hear, you know, how you ended up writing The Shack, which was your first book. And from what, sure. from what I heard is that you didn't even expect it to be like this, international success at all you know which is really interesting so if you could just share i never story. expected to be published yeah 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 even... so get into that so if you could start okay. from the beginning <laughs> uh, born in canada okay. up in uh, north north of edmonton up in grand prairie alberta okay. and uh, uh my parents were pioneer missionaries um, they were the first ones into the highlands of what was then netherlands new guinea oh. and um so we have, uh, I have three siblings, and all four of us have different passports. And uh, even though three of them were born in the same hospital, uh, they all had different nationalities because of who, who was in charge at the time. <laughs> Interesting. And, yeah. So New Guinea is a really uh, unique sort of place. It has over 800 unrelated language groups. Wow. And, uh, and so we were in the highlands with a tribe called the Dani, and they were... Huge, like forty to sixty thousand people over a hundred square miles. Big tribe, wow. but um, I was the, basically in in the area I was. I was the first person to learn their language. So when I was five years old, I was the informant when Wycliffe came in. Um, so I'm a third culture kid, evangelical, fundamental. Hmm. Um, you know, some great sadness as a child. Boarding school was not a joy, <laughs> and uh, that started at six and. Um, so uh, we moved eventually back to Canada, finished high school and did college in Canada. Hmm. Um, was on my way to finish a couple more degrees in Los Angeles, actually, when I met a woman, as they say. <laughs> and uh, and I've uh, been sort of in the Oregon area ever since. Um, oh, okay. Six, yeah, six children. Um, our youngest now is 22. Uh, our ninth grandbaby is about to be born. Oh, congrats. And, oh, thanks. <laughs> Kind of the best. They're all eight and under. So wow. wow. So you you went to school here in LA? 
Well, I was going to. Oh, you were going to. I, I never made it there. <laughs> okay, I, well, okay. I made it there to tell him I wasn't coming. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, it's one of those crossroads events. Oh, so, right, right. No. Uh, fast forward, um, I'm dealing with, uh, you know, my, my, my hidden side, you know, I'm, I'm from a religious family, so we hide everything and lie about most stuff. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we get together, we have to have order of service. So I marry into this huge, robust North Dakota family who all migrated West and, uh, for the most part. And they are, they are all like, this is what you get. This is what you see. Um, and I was very attracted to the health of that. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know because of my own brokenness. I didn't know really how to love, but I'm, turns out, turns out I'm smart and creative. So I, <laughs> I have, I have skills in terms of hiding. And, uh, so I hid for a long time and then, um, everything blew up in 94, um, had to make some really major choices. That's where the shack imagery comes from. The shack being the house on the inside that people help you build. Yeah. And, um, and for a lot of us, um, that place on the inside is, is a shack. It's, it's not habitable. It is full of our secrets and our addictions. And it's where we, mm. where we hide everything that we're terrified of. And we never want anybody to find out that it even exists. So we create the facade outside. Right. And those of us who come from a religious background, we are incredibly um, skilled at uh, self-deception and creating facades. Well, some of it, I mean, the intention is not to, to, to be duplicitous. The intention sure. is to actually, uh, we're hoping that it, we can perform our way into some sense of health. Right. And, um, and that's just not possible. At some point, you have to go back to the shack. You have to basically tear it down um, or gut it and then uh, begin to build over, which that's represented by Mackenzie's weekend in the shack is, is basically an 11-year process for me. Right. And um, so at the end of that, 2005, I'm... You know, I've always been a writer, but like mm -hmm. anybody is. You know, you write stuff and you give it to your friends and family and they love it because they love you and... <laughs> and uh, you know, and it, poetry and songs and short stories, and mm. and I'd written those. I'd written all my life as a way to get the inside world out, and then began giving those as gifts to friends and family. Well, mm. Kim, the woman to whom I've been married now uh, thirty-seven years, mm. and um, Kim, um, uh, well, thirty-six and a half. <laughs> and, uh, Kim um, had been after me for a while, and she had said, you know, someday as a gift for our kids, would you just put in one place how you think, because you think outside the box. And uh, part of that is due to being a multicultural kid, hmm. third culture kid, and, uh, and part of it is, is just my deep, intense um, learning how to embrace the questions. Uh, yeah. I, um, I become a lover of questions over my lifetime, hmm. good questions. And... Um, there's a line in Eve, actually, in the first chapter where Eve says to John, one of the characters says, you know, John, one good question is worth a thousand answers. Mm, and, yeah, I uh, that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's a great line, and there's real depth to it. And, um, and so, you know, in 2005, I finally felt like I was healthy enough to do this, to, mm. to write something. I was working three jobs. Kim was working at the high school bakery two blocks away because she could walk there mm. and I could get on the train. So most of the shack was written on the train trying to get it done for Christmas. Okay. Made the 15 copies at Office Depot, <laughs> uh, little, you know, on their photocopier with a little spiral bound 
little thing on the side with a plastic cover yeah. and um, gave it to our six children for Christmas. Uh, Kim got a copy and the extra copies went to my friends. And I went back to work. Not once during that uh, process did I ever think about actually publishing it because I, I don't know that world and it wasn't on my bucket list and wow. um, so I mean it those 15 copies did everything I ever wanted that book to do hmm. Hmm. so there was no big vision or you know intention to impact the world and all that kind of stuff but yeah. that's just to me how God's sense of humor functions you know it's just like <laughs> As Coburn would say, sometimes the wind comes out of nowhere and knocks you sideways. You know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so uh, you know, made the 15 copies. My friends start giving it away. That starts this wild, crazy adventure that ends up at being a, an international phenomenon. And yeah. um, has just, I mean, it's changed some of the conversation on the planet. And uh, sure. I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. I don't need it. Um, Everything that mattered to me was in place before I wrote the book. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I'd finally become a child at 50. Uh -huh. um, and, um, and I'm grateful. It got printed for the first time in 2007, as you said, yeah. um, for real, like uh, out from a printer, because a lot of publishers turned it down. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. And so uh, it, it ended up being printed by a printer in Los Angeles. And, um, mm. It's, um, you know, it is one of those, it gave people a language to have a conversation about God that wasn't religious. And, um, and that has really had an impact. It also, it also gave people permission. Um, it validated their great sadnesses and their questions because we yeah. have a world full of those. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it reconstructed a conversation about the character and nature of God inside a relational reality rather than uh, a dogmatic or or a propositional reality and um, and and by the way when the book finally got printed Kim says to me you know says you know I was thinking like four to six pages and <laughs> so mm. I was like oh, oh that's funny mm. so yeah anyway that's sort of the background for the shack but it, it really revolves around the question is God good because if, if, if God is not good all the time, I mean good, then you can't trust him. You have every reason not to trust God. And uh, that raises a whole mm. bunch of other questions. But um, how do you deal with the goodness of God or the idea of the goodness of God inside a world where obvious devastation uh, exists all around us? And we're all going to have to deal with great sadness. You know? yeah. and I don't know anybody that's not dying. <laughs> it's just yeah. a matter of time. You know, so um, those things are all part of where the shack came out of. And then Crossroads from there was a, a different question. And Eve was a very different question. It's crazy because we're still talking about the shack after all these years. <laughs> you know, so you, you could still see the impact. Yeah, it's not going to go away. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. The movie's coming out in 2016, which will just reignite that conversation. Oh, well. yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into that, too. So, you know, I mean, I, you sort of answered my, my next question already. But, you know, when I read it several years ago, you know, I saw why it was going to be the kind of book where you either love it or you hate it. Like you hate it, you know. And so it's like when the popularity or you, or you don't grew, read it, or you don't yeah. read it, right? And you criticize it <laughs> without even reading yeah, exactly. it. You know, those I, are my people. <laughs> and so you know, when the popularity grew, it's like 
like a bomb exploded in the Christian world. You know, I mean, I was I was living in the Philippines at the time too when I was hearing still stuff about it and and watching some of the <clears throat> the criticisms about it online. And you know, so why do you think um, this chat got so much attention? Now I know you mentioned like because people can relate to the the whole sadness part, you know. But why why so much negativity though from from people, especially Christians? Oh, because. Because they're my people, and <laughs> and not Christians in general. Christians in general embraced it widely, yeah. And from every kind of perspective that you can imagine, and it seemed like the more historic, um, the embrace of Trinitarian ideas, you yeah. know, that there are three persons in a relationship of oneness, mm-hmm. um, which validates both relationship and love. Sure, there was a much greater embrace of it. Um, fascinating people and I love the fact that it was like a bomb going off <laughs> yeah. because, because cool. a lot of the ways that we've done things just don't work yeah. and you know we've so separated the head and the west from the heart yeah. that we're trying to deal with everything based on a broken minds mm. and um, without it connecting to the heart and, it, and we've caused a lot of devastation as a result. A lot of people didn't read it, but they heard about it, and that was enough. And uh, but again, those are my people. We have we have a history in my in my side of the conversation of living in our heads. So it's not about actually loving as whole people; it's about being right. Yeah. And uh, and we're terrified, frankly. And this a lot of the anger of people is just a smokescreen for fear. Yeah. You know, they're afraid that something's going to upset the apple cart, <laughs> and they feel like they're living in a in a house of faith uh, cards, you know, they've got yeah. this, they've got their faith based on propositional truth. So if you tack any of them, hmm. and, and it may be the literalist six day, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, creation, it could be, um, it could be eternal security, it could be yeah. uh, preterist eschatology, it doesn't even really, uh, you know, cessationist Holy Spirit, <laughs> uh, any of that stuff, if it begins to tamper yeah. With my perception or my certainty, yeah. then I freak out. And the yeah. best way that my people know how to deal with being afraid is to get angry. Yeah. And uh, they just think that if they can just raise their voice or then begin to assassinate someone's character, hmm. that'll protect them from having to face the questions themselves. Yeah. And um, and Which I is a sign of insecurity for them. When you think about it. Well, of it. course it is. You know? <laughs> and, and this is the thing. Faith is always built on uncertainty. Yeah. And so insecurity is not a negative thing in terms of if you're dealing with the fact that relationships are not based on certainty. They're right. based on things like risk and trust yeah. and, and uh, learning how to listen and those kinds of things. So, yeah. you know, my, my people don't have a lot of... Um, practice in those kinds of things mm. we're much more about being certain now that's changing a lot sure. of that's changing yeah but the, you know the same people that were angry about the shack also didn't read crossroads and were angry about crossroads <laughs> and have already read eve and are angry about eve you know so the perception is is that i'm uh, and and this is what they they're having a hard time wrapping their heads around because I, I don't have any secrets, so they can't they can't assassinate my character, right? Because yeah. I've already assassinated it. Right. I mean, right. To the I mean, every everybody that goes after me has got a problem if they're going to try to unearth something that somebody doesn't know. Yeah. And uh, so that's not an issue. So they go after me with you know uh, categorizations, 
which is what we do too. We create a box, put people in the box, and then assassinate the box. Hmm. So I get accused all the time of being a universalist, right. um, not having respect for scripture. Right. Uh, or distorting the Trinity know. and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> having God the Father, a large black African-American <laughs> woman, believing that God is a large black African-American woman. Right. Uh, I mean, and you start going down this path and you begin to realize this is great. Look, right, right. people are, at least they're angry. You know, that's a good thing because mm -hmm. when they just didn't care, there wasn't any conversation to be had. Right. So somebody who's upset, um, they're telling me in the only way they know how what matters to them. Yeah. And frankly, they, that person, that angry person is more important than the argument hmm. or more important than the issue. Yeah, because yeah. you know God doesn't die. He does, Jesus doesn't come and get slaughtered by us in order to res, you know to deal with arguments and ideologies. Yeah, he's coming after human beings. It's yeah. human beings that matter in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And uh, as as we move down this path of coming to healing ourselves, we begin to understand that. So if there's a disconnect between the way that we relate to people, yeah, uh, and and the truthfulness of our of our thinking, which I'm all for, then that gap uh, indicates that that we're still disconnected from truth. Who is a person? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you know, and that, that's what I like about what you're you're talking about here is that it's not just about propositional truth. And so there are these people who are getting pissed off at what you're doing because you're striking a nerve. But at the same time, it's creating a conversation, you know, for for a lot of us and just helping us kind yeah. of. Uh, reflect about okay what what's really going on with us why are we getting so upset you know and uh, is there something deeper you know and that's what i like about how you were saying um just people don't really have anything on you because you've already exposed yourself <laughs> for everybody to see yeah. you know some of your the mistakes that you might have done in the past and but you know you willing to kind of own it and I just might have done is not the the active word what's the that mistakes i absolutely did not might have done yeah yeah you know the Rails I actually I actually perpetrate right 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 so um, you know propositional uh, and I love mindfulness I do sure but a lot of propositional theology is no different than porn right, right it's right. the it's the imagination of a relationship without the risk of a real one mm. right? Right, right that's what porn, that's what porn is right. it's like it's a relationship it's the imagination of a relationship that I can control right. You know, and so a lot of propositional theology is like that. You don't like, need yeah. God. Yeah. You know, you don't need to have a relationship with God in order to have propositional yeah. truth. All right. you just need to know what the propositions are and right. then have your checkboxes and mark it <laughs> off. Right. It's like a mental yeah. stimulation. It's like playing with these different yeah. ideas, but sometimes it doesn't yeah, have which any is real a, effect. Which is another good analogy, yeah. right? <laughs> you know, I mean... Theological masturbation. Right. right. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. <laughs> you know, I mean, what we were talking about even earlier about just how the way you even describe God. So, you know, even within the Christian tradition, uh, you know, God is known as a loving father. Right. And so which is helpful for a lot of people, you know, who didn't grow up with the dad or maybe they had a no dad at all, you know, no dad at all or a bad dad. And yet in the book, you portray God. You didn't portray God in a masculine form, you know. And so why, why did you do that? Uh, a lot of different reasons. Yeah. Um, you have to remember, I'm writing this for my six children, right? So I'm right. trying to say, let me use story because every human being is one mm. and we have an affinity for story. Let me use story as a way to, to uh, give you an account 
of the God who showed up and healed my heart, not the God I grew up with. Because I grew up with that white, distant, grandfatherly, uh, disappointed being behind Jesus, the one that Jesus was trying to save me from, right? And so um, a lot of my, <clears throat> my desire in terms of the shack was to say, you know what? Imagery is imagery. And I'm trying to get I'm trying to get imagery that is more accessible, not imagery that um, uh, is Gandalf with a bad attitude God. <laughs> right. And um, and so I'm trying to get as far away from that as possible, and yet and yet be legitimately inside the beauty and the wonder of who I've come to understand. Not, of course, you know, you can never understand sure, in sure. a complete sense at all, but the growing awareness and appreciation for the depth of the goodness, the kindness, the gentleness, the fury of, of God. And, yeah. and um, to wrap that imagery inside um, a large black African-American woman made the personhood of God m much more accessible for millions of people because we've been so devastated by bearded, white, middle-aged grandfatherly hmm. um, imagination. And the, and the thing about imagery, it never was intended to define God. You look at right. scripture, imagery is all over the map. Yeah. Father, father is a image. A in yeah. a sense, there's a real depth to it, but so is mother. And there's lots of passages that have a reference to God as maternal. Right. Now, and here's the fundamental question. Even just a flat-out theological question. Is God more masculine than feminine? Hmm. Is the image of God more masculine than feminine? I mean, that's just a simple question, but it doesn't get asked. Yeah. And so if you say, yes, God is more masculine than feminine, then you've got some real problems, hmm. and both with logic and theology. Yeah. So, and to begin to say all masculinity, all femininity as a spectrum of being yeah. originates in the very being of God. And this is why the image of God is male-female, hmm. not male and female, hmm. but male-female. And so the entire spectrum of maternity, where does, mater where does breastfeeding, where does um, uh, carrying a baby in a womb, where does womb love come from? Hmm. Isaiah says... It originates in God. Mm. And, and, and womb love is a very special kind of love. The mm. word mercy and the word womb come from the same root mm. in the Hebrew. So anytime you're dealing with mercy, you're dealing with the maternal expressions of the very being of God. Mm. So once you, once you lay that down and you begin like, well, is God a rock? Because Psalm <laughs> says God is a rock, yeah. you know? Mm. Well, we know he's not a rock. Right? right, we know. Right. We know. Uh, He's not a fortress. <laughs> not a fortress. Not a strong tower. Not a shield. Not yeah. a mother hen who covers the chicks. Right. Not a father. Right, right. Mm -hmm. Because you're dealing with imagery, and imagery was never intended to define God. Right. It was intended to open up a relational reality that we could find accessibility through. Right. And uh, similar to icons in the Eastern sure. um, side of the conversations, those are windows through which we can see facets of the character and nature of God. We don't then begin to worship the window itself. Hmm. So to say that God's not, you know, God, of course, is not a large black African-American woman, but God <laughs> is 
definitely not a white grandfatherly, yeah. you know, uh, uh, bearded uh, Gandalf with a bad attitude either. Right, right. And uh, so that just changes the conversation. And yeah. I think that itself was enough of a shockwave that it made people rethink um, their their relational embrace of the imagination of God that they have they have adapted to. Yeah. And a lot of it is very destructive in yeah. terms of, you know, we have a God who's not even as good a parent as we are, hmm. you know, but he gets a pass because he's God. Right. And it's like, really? And he can do whatever Don't. he wants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he can, He doesn't have to forgive, but he requires that we, we yeah. do. He, yeah. you know, he says love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, but he's allowed to. Yeah. You know, it's just like, um, what's the disconnect? <laughs> it's kind of the, do, the God that says, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of God. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so I like that, you know, what you were doing with your book. I think that's where a lot of people got confused because they're like, oh, God is like a black woman and, you know, Chinese lady, blah, blah, blah. You know, but you were just doing yeah. what the Bible does. It was basically like all language for God is metaphorical, you know, so what yeah, you're well, doing. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and it's in the Hebrew. Yeah. I mean, you start, with, you start with Elohim, which is a plural word, right, with singular nouns, right, right? in in the beginning, God, and then in verse two, you introduce the Holy Spirit, and that's feminine. Yeah, and and then you're introduced to the unpronounceable name Adonai, Jehovah, mm. Yahweh, whatever. How, however, that unpronounceable name is pronounced. Right. <laughs> and 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 then you've got the three of them in one verse, and then you've got this this feminine imagery of the eagle hovering over the mother eagle, hovering over the deep. And all the language for the Holy Spirit then becomes feminine. And you're going yeah. like, you know, why didn't we translate it even that way? Just yeah. if we're going to do it as a flat literalist. Exactly. We didn't yeah. do that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I like the fact that, you know, even though you wrote this for your kids, this does translate for a lot of people because you, you were just showing what God is like, you know, and not necessarily this is what God is. You know, but you're, it's this imagery which is so powerful, and I think that's that's better than just taking a, a theology and philosophy course about you know God is three persons in one kind of thing. But you're, you're you're trying to describe something for us in order for us to understand God as like a as a relational kind of God, you know. Yeah, and, and that, it happened sort of sideways because mm -hmm. I wasn't I didn't set out to define anything in yeah. terms of the of the being of God, but when I described the way that they love one another. Mm. And you could and you could see it. Mm. It just the lights went on for people. Yeah, and and it wasn't because oh, because you can go to this section and, and in one point five on page seven hundred and forty three <laughs> of the systematic theology, it has a paragraph on the Trinity. Right? Yeah. See, this is the beauty of creative work. Mm. I don't care if it's music or art or dance or theater or movies or or uh, creation itself. Any kind of uh, mathematics, science, you start getting involved in the dance of creative work, hmm. it opens space up. Yeah. It doesn't shut it down. And nonfiction has a tendency to shut space down. Sure. Creative or fiction has a way of opening it up so that people can hear for themselves. Mm. But you have to trust the Holy Spirit in that, not my ability to convince somebody. Yeah, yeah. No, I love it. And that's, that's the whole power of, you know, of story what you've been doing with your books, you know? And so, you know, I, I, you know, just like you, I grew up in a religious environment. You know, I didn't grow up as a missionary kid, but, you know, I grew up believing in God. But my, my view of God was very unstable, you know, because, like, God was schizophrenic to me at times. You know, it's like, like one moment he yeah. loves me because I'm obeying and I'm serving him. 
And the next moment, you know, he's ready to punish me, you know, because I screw up and then I get scared, to be honest, you know, so this, I know this for sure, this has been the experience for a lot of people, you know, and so why, why is it so hard for, you know, a lot of religious folks to accept the idea that God loves unconditionally, you know, not just based upon what you do. And, and, and another thing is, you know, is the God of the shack too nice? You know, where, where, where the God in your book doesn't match the God of the Bible, especially the God of the Old Testament, you know, where the, the violent God. Yeah. So let's see a couple different questions. Yeah, There's there. a lot there. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so um, why is it so hard for people to accept God as an unconditionally loving God? Because then they would have to take the risk of trust. Mm. I can manage a furious God because a lot of us have had furious relationships in our lives. Yeah. And so we've got skills yeah. to try to control that kind of stuff. And, um, and you know, there's a, there's a positive sense in which Christians particularly um, don't like the idea of unconditional love because to to a bunch of us, that sounds like your choices don't matter or mm. your behavior doesn't matter right. or it's like, and, and here's the distinction that I like to make about that. Okay. Love is unconditional, and you cannot trust someone that you don't believe loves you. Hmm. That's why when you're dealing with fear, the degree of fear in your life is always related to how much you don't know yet that you're loved. Yeah. So the degree of, that's First John, right? Hmm. The relational reality is conditional, and it has to be. Hmm. See, you can't have a relationship with someone who, who can't say no. Sure. Right? And um, that means that the relationship's conditional. I've got, uh, we have six children. Yeah. If I have a, uh, one of my boys who decides uh, to begin to abuse one of my granddaughters, mm. right? My love for him is unconditional. It is not behaviorally dependent. Sure. Right? It is. And it is, it is a mystery, the depth of a love that a parent has for a child. And... Um, it's, it is, to me, the closest window to the heart of God because it's other-centered self-giving. There is just any, any parent that has any degree of health um, knows this. And, um, but relationship is conditional because it takes into account that there is an other, right? And if I would move heaven and earth to stop my son from abusing my granddaughter. And if that yeah. meant that my son decided he would never want anything to do with me the rest of our lives on this planet, yeah. that would affect the relational reality of his and my relationship, right? Yeah, Because it takes into account his ability to do great devastation as well as do beautiful, wondrous things. Yeah. Now, the love I have for him is unconditional. And, and you know, if you've seen the Ted Bundy interviews with his mom and stuff, she, her mm. point is she, he's still my son. Mm. See, that's, there is a depth to that. And you can hear the voice of God in there. Mm. Uh, you know what? This is not dependent on behavior. Yeah. yeah. Josh is still my son, right? Mm. And uh, Paul is still my son. Mm. And uh, Amy is still my daughter. But... The, the impact of our choices actually matters, which tells me that God has a high view of humanity, not a low one. Yeah. Right? And, but, 
But we want to just make it about, well, you know, God is behaviorally motivated. So I'm the one that can control God by behaving right. If I be, it's, it's no different than magic, right? Mm. So if I have the right formula, whatever that is, in my particular denomination or subculture, I can get God to do what he's supposed to do because I can twist his arm. I can do the right, perform the right stuff, pray the right prayer, have the magic words, and that automatically puts me into the category where he has to, you know, like, oh, shoot, but he's in, you know, <laughs> for, for the moment. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's all that kind of nonsense. This, mm. That's not relational world at all. But I think we begin with some real basic lies that one, you know, that we begin separated from God and God has a very low view of humanity. Those are two right. fundamental lies that have been embraced inside my world. Oh, right. And That's huge. My evangelical. Yeah. It's absolutely huge. Yeah. So the question about is God too nice in the shack or crossroads? Or, yeah. um, in comparison and, you know, with the God of what we see, especially in the Old Testament. Right. Well... What we God, the God we perceive, we see, hmm. you know, and because yeah, the Old Testament's an easy target. But here's the deal, and here, and and this opens up a whole different set of questions and a can of worms. <laughs> what is going on in the revelation of of Scripture of the Hebrew Scriptures, hmm. and and it is an ongoing unveiling of the character and nature of God, but it is also an un, ongoing unveiling of the devastation inside humanity, hmm. right? Both of those things are at work here. Now, I'm a missionary kid. I'm a third culture kid. When you go into a different culture, you don't go in there and speak your language expecting them to understand you. Right. That's just craziness, hmm. right? If you're going to go in and you want to communicate, you're going to have to learn their language. Right. And part of what you're dealing with in the Hebrew scriptures is God speaking our language so that he can introduce us to God's language. Mm. And, and that is a very dynamic and fluid movement. So you've got God speaking, for, for example, you've got, God, you've got God speaking sacrifice language. That's because that's the only language we knew. Everything was about appeasement and retribution. And, and you've got God stepping into our world, identifying with us and saying, but I'm going to teach you that I'm going to put an end to this. But I'm not going to put an end to this in a way that is a violation of you. I'm not going to join your mentality to accomplish your freedom. Mm. But I am going to fully identify with you. You know, I think the cross is your perfect example. Mm. Um, the question that, one of those great questions that underlies the whole conversation about the cross, since it is a terrible torture device, sure. that's the only purpose for its existence, mm. is who originated that? Yeah. You know, who originated the cross? It is the epitome symbol of sacrifice and becomes the symbol of the sacrifice of a child by a parent. Mm. And, um, and so who originates that? Who originates the cross? Well, you've got one of two choices. Either God originates it. Well, then First John's wrong because it says God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Yeah. And you can't explain to me, and nobody ever has explained to me how a cross, this torture device, is a device of light. Mm. Right? Come on. 
Yeah. It's the only purpose is to keep a human being alive as long as possible and as much pain as possible before you forcefully extract their breath out of them. Yeah. And it's a death by suffocation. Hmm. So if, if God does not originate, who does? Well, yeah. we do. Well, that changes the whole story. Hmm. That means from the very beginning, God goes in eyes wide open, going like, we're going to go and submit ourselves to the highest iconic symbol of their devastation. And by submitting to it, destroy it. Right, right. Right. And not only destroy it, we're going to transform it into an icon and a monument of grace that becomes absolutely precious. So mm -hmm. that so that people will wear this torture device on their rings and around their necks on jewelry. And it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Right? But yeah. that gives me hope for any devastation that I bring to the table. Yeah. That God will climb into that mess with me and begin to grow something living, transform my contribution, <laughs> which mm -hmm. is the mess I bring, into something that becomes an icon and a monument of grace. Mm -hmm. I don't think that, you know, uh, Papa in the shack doesn't let Mackenzie off on anything. Mm -hmm. It's just that he doesn't use a big hammer with a nail in it, which is our yeah. imagination of the God of the Old Testament, yeah. right? And, and it doesn't mean that there are like, well, there are some real problems with these passages, you know, very uncomfortable. Yeah. But then there are others that seem to contradict the heart of God inside, you know, like the Samuel verse that says, yeah. I don't desire the, the loss of one single human being, hmm. you know. And, and so it's like, what is going on here? And, and how do we begin to understand it? Which is a great set of questions in a whole different conversation yeah yeah <laughs> you know i mean just even just mentioning about suffering you know you so you talk about jesus you know and it's 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 nice for us to like i guess we could refer to that you know and talk about like oh yeah so there was some sort of way that god can work and redeem through through evil things that man does you know so just reading the shack you know it obviously revolves around a lot of you know about the the problem of suffering and evil you know which is why you know some of the the even some of my listeners, you know, some of them left Christianity because of the whole idea of suffering and the problem of evil. That's why they became atheists, you know. So in your opinion, like I could I could get the whole thing with the cross, you know, like I know that's something that we could always refer to. But in your opinion, why why would a good God, you know, and I, and I have to emphasize a good God, you know, allow sure. the suffering that, that a lot of people go through. Like now that that they're just not satisfied with the whole, you know, well Jesus suffered and you know something good came out of that, but but there's like a lot of bad stuff that happens now. Yeah, you know, you that, know what? The end doesn't justify the means. Right, right. Nothing justifies the cross. Even yeah. the even the salvation of the entire cosmos does not justify the cross. Right. It's just wrong. Yeah. Right. So so you you back up your question and and there is a more fundamental question, and that is. Knowing, knowing, why does God create? Mm. You know, and does God have a low view of humanity or a high view of humanity? Yeah. You know, and now we're back to one of your earlier questions, and that is, do my choices actually matter? And the answer is a resounding yes. Mm. Your choice to hold a grudge, your choice not to forgive, your choice to be unkind, your choice on and on and on and on. Those choices matter. And they matter not just in terms of this very small, limited piece of time that we're involved in, but they matter cosmically throughout time. Yeah. And God has a high view of humanity. Yeah. So why does evil exist? 
Mm. Because the question is, if God is going to create, then does God know that we're going to go sideways? Yes, because it's stated a number of times so that we're very clear about this, that Jesus was slain from the foundations of the world. Like we're going in knowing. So the, the, the hint is, is that there was no way to create this high order of being without them saying no. Yeah. So the choice is, do we create or not? Mm-hmm. And so creating this, I mean, God could have, among the bazillion kinds of creations that God could have created, mm-hmm. this is the best. This right. is this this maintains respect for the high order of creation and yet climbs into it in order to absolutely redeem it without violation mm-hmm. from God's side, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's like I have a friend of mine who's got a couple of little children and, and one time he was he's wrestling with the very question you're asking, but he's also kind of upset with his kids because he they're they're treating each other poorly. Right, right. And and he's going like, why can't they just see the magnificent creation of the other child? Mm. And my question is, so because you're dealing with the tension of the suffering your children are inflicting on each other, would it have been ever better that they had not been conceived in the first place? Mm-hmm. And the question is like, are you crazy? Yeah. That's yeah. not a question, right? Mm. And so a lot of times we set up an ideological God, you know, and this is where I'm with the atheist, man. I don't yeah. think the God that we don't think exists either. I don't mm-hmm. think that that God exists either. Mm-hmm. And that's why that God doesn't show up when McKenzie throws his absolute fury in, yeah. in the shack. Yeah. yeah. And, but um, when it comes to this high view of humanity, that means that God submits. This is a God who submits by nature. God doesn't sure. talk about submission because it's a behavioral thing. It's an ontologically relational thing. Sure. And, and so we're going in and we are going to protect the human's right to say no. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to stop pursuing them either. Mm-hmm. Not in this life, not after death. You know, that pursuit is the pursuit of the heart that we experience as parents or as someone who loves a child or, you know, the, the growing love we have for an adopted child or for a relative or for, you know, whatever you think of as the purest form of love that you experience, that is a reflection uh, of the very nature of God. Yeah, yeah. No, I know like just the whole idea of uh, this relationship and and God uh, not wanting to violate I guess you want to say like a person's free will or something like that. Um, Just out of respect and, and uh, giving this other person value to make their own choices and even make mistakes. Um, you know, I was speaking um, somewhere like a, about a year ago, and, and this one couple was telling me how it's a it's a typical thing that I hear from a lot of people. They say, oh, I never understood God the way I do now ever since I had this child. You know, it's just a very common exactly. thing, you know. Um, but I, I, I just know one of the questions that comes up, I do read a lot of books from skeptics, you know, and... Um, yeah. My listeners, too, are also some atheists and skeptics and stuff. And so I think about that, though, like I could get that because, you know, now you have this love for your, your newborn child. But if like what you were saying even earlier about how you would do whatever you can to stop your son from doing something to your grandchild. You know, if I saw my child about to um, 
get into a, get hit by a car uh yeah i can't probably stop that driver that's probably drunk and about to hit my child but if i could jump in and push my child out of the way i would <laughs> you know yes and you so, would yeah and so when i think about this question is like many times when we get into this whole subject of suffering you know i hear from a lot of people god allows god allows god allows this god allows that bad thing to happen to you and when just i know for a lot of people they think but it seems like god allows everything you know as if there's no real tangible intervention at all you know and so i you know i know a lot of people wonder is the language of god even necessary in the sense of does it really help to say thing like god was with you during those horrible times because you know, it can make people wonder, doesn't that do more harm than good? You know, because even, for example, last night we were talking about sexual abuse, you know, and there's people within my own circle of friends and, and even my wife has experienced abuse and my one of my closest friends have experienced rape, you know, because the question can still come up. If, if God was with you during those times, you know, why, if, if he can intervene, you know, and if, if, I, if I was a parent, you know, it would be hard to imagine any loving parent just sitting there watching his or her child get molested or violently raped just to teach them a lesson. And I know that's a lot yeah, to handle. It <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's a big question, yeah. but it's something that it a is. lot of people struggle with still. Well, it, it is true. And that's part of my great sadness. Right? Yeah. Sexual abuse started for me before I was five years old mm. and then continued in boarding school when I was six years old. And, and um, so I know that pain. Yeah. And, and one of the questions that was, you know, one of my questions is, so where was God when people stole things from me? Right, you know, right. like my childhood. Yeah, and um, that's my wife's and, language too. By the way, she uses that, like you know, stole my my innocence because she didn't know about sexuality when she was so young. And you know, right. this and, person, and you don't have the capacity to deal. With it, yeah, right? and children always then say, "Well, it was my fault." Yeah, and um, and so then you've got to work that stuff out. Yeah. So and and here here we go to the to a bigger question. I don't believe that the end ever justifies the means. I don't think that God ever creates a scenario that uses evil in order to, to teach someone a lesson. Right, I think right. that's just preposterous. But yeah. I think that the question is, is, is predicated on sure. believing that human beings are pieces of crap or we have sure. a very low view of humanity. Sure. The alternative for God not being present with us. There are a couple of them. One is that God is present and takes control, stops that person, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh, and then the question is, so at what point does he have to go back? Uh, is he going to stop my dad? Is he then going to stop my dad's dad who yeah. broke his ability to, to be a parent? And then he goes back. How far do you go back? And then you're back to the question about why create it all. <laughs> uh, uh, emotionally and psychologically, the alternative to God not being present with me in the middle of that, not identifying with me, is for me to be absolutely and utterly alone. Hmm. Hmm. Right? Yeah. And, you know, and I am with people who have been incredibly hurt. Uh, one of those groups of people are special forces guys who have PTSD, suicidal ideation, and combat stress disorder, who have lived with a gun in their mouth, hmm. especially when they're out of the, the military. And right now in the U.S. military, every day, 23 veterans and two enlisted men take their lives every single day, hmm. kill themselves, right? And, and the, the guys that I'm, and these are the warrior, warrior guys, but they are so disconnected from their humanity that the only solution is that Jesus would show up in their core 
losses and begin to put something together at a core place. Hmm. And um, um, I'm not one that God manipulates presence um, in order to shortcut things. Uh, God takes into account what we brought to the table, what our parents have brought to the table, what our grandparents have brought to the table, and the genetics of and what we've done to the planet. Yeah, it's like you know, what are we asking here that God, you know, obliterate all the human choices that have been involved in this so that this didn't happen? Yeah. Right. This is this is a much more massive scale of respect. And this is why for me, here's here's a fundamental question that comes out of your question. Hmm. If God has so protected my ability to say no, which is the origin of evil, hmm. right? My ability to turn away. Right. If God has so protected that, why would I think that the event of death takes away my ability to say yes? Hmm. You know, because in, in Christian circles, it's kind of like as soon as you die, that's it. I mean, it's all signed, sealed, and delivered. <laughs> right. And I'm going like, if you want a really better question, if God takes away my ability to say yes or no post-mortem, why didn't he take it away to begin with? Hmm. Right. Right? Because then he would be some kind of cosmic you know, uh, narcissistic, abusive, malevolent scientist, mm. right? Seeing how much pain that we could create just in order to violate us at the end by taking away our ability to choose. The yeah. fact that we have an ability to choose is absolutely paramount. Sure. And the only place that I find, the only place in all my years of working with philosophy and and the psychology side of this and the theology side of this the only place is inside a relationship of respect high order of creation mm. where our being actually matters and the choices that we um do actually matter. i didn't find a resolution for uh, morality or mm. the 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 validation of choice inside of naturalistic mechanistic philosophy sure. Sure. it doesn't exist there for me and it's non-relational and same with the monad religions where you only have a god as a solitary being you don't have a basis for love or relationship hmm. and then everything is just because oh it's arbitrary hmm. Hmm. you know i could choose to do good but what if you have a lifestyle of torturing children yeah you know am i supposed to be uh, somehow okay with that because you know you have a freedom to express well that's ontologically a violation of who you are sure. and the only way i know to find out who i am is that God has revealed it. And the only revelation that I start with is the revelation of Jesus. Hmm. That's where I start. Yeah. I got nowhere else to go. I need a voice from the outside that tells me who I am. Hmm. But because of that, the net result for me as a human being is a degree of wholeness that was not possible for me inside of a mechanistic philosophical frame of reference. Right. And, yes. uh, and so I, I don't have an addiction to porn. Right, right. You know, but I did. I mean, deeply, because hmm. it's part of the crap that you grow up with. Sure. And um, but I don't, and I haven't for twenty some years. Why? Hmm. Because I know who I am. Hmm. I know that that my ontological creation, as revealed in Jesus, is that I am pure of heart, and that is more true than any of the devastation that has ever happened to me. Yeah. Any of the violation that has ever happened to me, and yeah. and that I am never alone. And that's yeah. again, you know, yeah. if you've read Eve, you know that that's kind of at the centerpiece yeah. of, of Eve. Yeah. yeah, 
And I think that's a really beautiful message. And I'm, I'm glad you clarified that too for a lot of people of God doesn't, you know, the end doesn't justify the means because that's huge. You know, I mean, I even heard someone use that language just recently while we were together. And, uh, you know, for example, like when I was in the Philippines, we were part of this gathering where this guy shared this story about this lady who was who was raped, you know, and then all of a sudden, um, you know, she was able to work through that. And, you know, typically what I've seen in a lot of, you know, uh, circles that I've been in, they're like, oh, now that you've been through that, now God wants to use you for that particular thing. And so she <laughs> ended up sharing her story of how, you know, she was, you know, sexually abused and raped and how uh, she was able to help other people. And then what troubled me was when this guy shared this story to all of us when it was when he said, now I know why she got raped. So she could help oh my these gosh. people. See, that yeah. Just <laughs> yeah, I mean that's right? that's the language that I hear, and that's I, I think that's what people get a lot from. Not, I'm not accusing you, but just a lot of Christians in general would just say, "Oh, this is why God allowed this," you know. And yeah. and, and I'm glad you clarify that for a lot of people that if God God holds us in high value, you know that we're not like this little pawn. Let me let me do this to to Paul just so I could get this end, you know, to justify this end somehow. And because um, that's that's how a lot of people feel. You know, yeah. and a few nights ago, I was talking. A few nights ago, I was talking to this gal, and uh, she said, "I was doing this large interview television thing," and she said, um, "Isn't it great how God is using you?" And I said, "Excuse me." <laughs> I said, "God doesn't. God. God is not using me." And uh, and I said, "Do you have children?" She said, "I have. I have a daughter." Yeah. I said, "So explain to me." This and I wasn't mad, and she knew I wasn't mad. I was very yeah. gentle about it. But I said, "Explain to me a situation where you would say <laughs> I really can't wait to use my daughter. She yeah. is going to be a tool, yeah. right?" Yeah. But that's the language we have of God, right? <laughs> and I'm going like, "When?" And she said, "I would never say that." And I said, "But you would attribute that to God in a heartbeat, as if yeah. that was legit." Yeah, <laughs> you know, God doesn't heal us because He wants to use us. God heals us because He loves us, and then right, He invites right. us to play. Hmm. You know, this is I, I want to change that language because I think it's highly destructive. Yeah, and it's highly disrespectful, not just for God, yeah. but for who we are as human beings. Yeah, and um, and that's kind of what I'm after in some of these things. But that kind of language just. Oh yeah, oh, no, yeah. I so feel God you. killed those people in order to have, you know, and this is goes back to Jesus. We think that, you know, God the Father is the one that killed the son. Right. That's right. our, you know, in our the way we grew up in terms of the <laughs> small evangelical mentality right. is that you you have a God and who knows where the Holy Spirit is trying to protect what? The child <laughs> from the abusive father exactly. or you know, the whole thing's messed up. And yeah. um and instead of that, we need to rethink. Hmm. And even if the Mago Day the image of God that we're created in, it works both ways. Hmm. Not only do I see things about the character and nature of God that help me understand who I am, but if I look at the depths of my creativity, my the things that I aspire to in terms of goodness and authenticity and honesty and all of that, that drives right back into the nature and character of God. Hmm. The Imago Dei has to work both directions. Yeah. And, um, and, and so the things that are in human beings, you know, the, the, I believe that the activity of the Holy Spirit is in every single human being, hmm. you know, and so it's not about ideological difference, uh, differences. We're going to have to work that out. We're going to ah, find yeah, <laughs> the common language of our humanity. Yeah, yeah. 
But we've been included. We were created in Christ. Everybody was. The Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. We're included whether we know it or not. But mm. the effect of how we see this impacts the relationship. So our, sure. the experience of our relationship is impacted by what we trust. Sure. Just like I was saying about my son and my granddaughter. Yeah. My love yeah. is unconditional, but the experience is conditional. Yeah. My sense of relationship is conditional. Mm -hmm. And we're all moving. Every relationship I know is moving. It's, mm -hmm. it's dynamic. Mm -hmm. And I just don't like the language where God says, well, you know, you've totally disappointed me. I'm out of here. Mm -hmm. Good luck with that. I hope you figure out how to get across the gulf one day. Yeah. And if you die, sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, and that's why I, I like where you're showing and how if you, you know, since you believe the Holy Spirit works within every single human being and that all are included, you know, as in, in your words, you know. And so one of the things that can come up, which is a biggie, I know, for a lot of people from the book, is that one part in the story of the shack, it talks about where Matt goes to Jesus and says, you know, don't all roads lead to you. And then Jesus says, you know, most roads don't lead anywhere, uh, but I'll travel any road to find you. Now, now, I know you get a lot of heat for the book in general, but I know you probably got some heat for that part in particular. You know, what what does that mean? You know, does that mean that, um, you know, the person can believe whatever he or she wants and, you know, it doesn't matter what religion they are. I mean, the Holy Spirit's already working in them anyway. You know, how, how would you um, explain that part of the, the book? My, my part of my answer is that religion's never been the answer anyway. Mm. Religion is something that human beings create in order to find a way to try to control their world and control God and everything else. Right. So, you know, if you're going to talk about Christianity, let's define it because I don't mind being identified as one. Sure. That's my roots. It's my heritage. Everything else, um, but let's let's talk about what that is. Yeah, you know, and um, so yeah, I got a lot of flack for it's what page one eighty two in a lot of the versions, and um, a couple things on that page got me in some a little bit of hot water. <laughs> right, um, right. That was one of them, and and the point was exactly opposed to universalism in the sense that oh, so all roads are equally valid. I'm sorry, that's not mm. true. There mm. are so many religious and non-religious philosophical ideologies that are absolutely destructive. The 20th century, the bloodiest century in the human race was as impacted by religious ideology as it was by um, atheistic, mechanistic um, humanism. Mm. I mean, it, Pol Pot or yeah. the gulags or, I mean, you go on and on. So yes, religion's an easy target. Sure. But philosophy is an easy target when it comes to these kinds of conversations as well. Yeah. And I'm not a universalist in the sense that, that I believe doctrinally that every single person will ultimately run back into the embrace of authentic and real love. Hmm. Now, I hope that's true. Sure. I hope, you know, and why would you be opposed to that if yeah. somehow God in God's respect and pursuing relentless affection created a creation that ultimately would be unwound from all of its damage yeah. and that every single human being would fully be known and know who they are and inside that embrace, right? Yeah. Yeah. I hope that's true. And I'm, I'm like, I'm not opposed to that at all. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not a determinist, so I don't make that a doctrine. Hmm. But, um, and, and this issue of determinism is huge for me. Sure. So um, all roads don't lead to God. You know, most roads don't lead anywhere, yeah. uh, but God will go down any road to find you. Yeah. 
So this is the same thing as we started with. If you're going to go to a culture and they don't speak your language, you'll learn their language, Mm -hmm. right? So God comes. He finds me down the road that I'm at. And it could be religious Christianity. It could be atheistic whatever. It could be Buddhism. It could be Islam. It could be, you know, some subcultural form of radical humanism. It could be... It could be mental illness. Sure. It could be um, broken heartedness. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. It could be alcohol. It could be who you know, meth. Sure. God'll come down any road to find. Yeah. Why? Because I matter, because the one matters. And Jesus, that's Jesus' words, right? I'll leave the nine nine to go find the one. The one matters. So whoever's listening, you actually matter. Yeah. And that's one of the big things a lot of philosophy cannot cannot assert and affirm yeah yeah and uh, that's what i like you know i'm so glad you're clarifying all this stuff for a lot of people because they do they do automatically just think of that one part in your book you think oh yeah all roads lead to god you know but you're just sharing it's not about religion at all it is about being a human being that we all have our brokenness we all have our you know our our sadness you know and and, and god is willing to go down any road to meet you there you know and i think that's a a a really beautiful thing you know but because of time (laughs) i want i want to go on to your Oh, go ahead. I just want to. I want to add one note to that. Sure. But it's also because I I believe in the goodness of God, and therefore I trust the fury of God, hmm. this raging fire yeah. that is God's relentless affection to come and burn out of me everything that keeps me from yeah. being free and fully human. Yeah. And that is the wrath of God. But I believe the wrath of God is for us, not against right, us. Right. And I don't believe in this retributive, like we've hurt his feelings and therefore, you know, there's some kind of scale of punishment that will somehow validate this. And um, so I'm all for the fury of God. In fact, I count on it. Sure. But it's because I believe in the goodness of God that I count on it. And that's that's a huge paradigm shift for a lot of people because I get what you're saying because typically you would think of wrath and fire as more of a, a retributive type of understanding of God, but you're more of the seeing it in light of a, a restorative type, you know, like a, like, Absolutely. A, like a purification, if you want to call it in that sense. Yeah. Um, yep. And that, that, and yeah, that, those are the kind of guests we've been us. having on the show, <laughs> you know, like Kevin Miller, uh, Sharon Baker is going to yep. be on the show. So, so I, I, I totally see what you're talking about, you know, about, about your latest book. Um, you know, what, what are some of the, the, now your latest book is called Eve and it just came out uh, last month, right? Yep. Um, you yep. know, what, what are some of the, the themes found in your latest book? You know, and how is this different? And I know you don't want to give it all away, like the whole story, but no, how, no, is, it, can, how is it different? I can kind of quick overview because I got to run too. Oh, okay. But, um, yeah, the, how is it uh, The question in Eve, the question in the shack is about the goodness of God in the midst of human loss and tragedy. Hmm. The question in Crossroads is how does grace or change get inside the world of someone who has shut themselves off from relationships? Hmm. And uh, Eve, the question is, and this is a 40-some year question for me, if men are so obviously more messed up than women, how come they're in charge? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So it is, it is looking at the narrative of Genesis and putting it inside of a storyline that allows us accessibility to, to see if there's a different way forward mm-hmm. than, than the scale language that we have adopted. And I think there is. I think our mythology about Genesis one through three is so profoundly misguiding. Hmm. And I'm not disagreeing with the text. In fact, I'm incredibly careful with the text and the scholarship. But I'm really going after the mythology that we have. And, um, And it's 
absolutely devastated this planet. Men have absolutely devastated this planet. It's not that women can't be beastly and all that. They can be. But compared with what men have done, they don't hold a candle. Women constantly are a call back to our humanity. Mm. You know, and we're the ones that treat not just territory and property as a basis for identity, worth, and value, etc. But we then treat relationships as property mm. and do the same thing. And, and, and you know, women have, have learned to adopt inside the power systems that we've managed to, to foist on the planet. But there's got to be a different conversation. Yeah. And um, so that's what Eve is. And it's inside of a storyline. Sure. So if you, if you read it, the first five chapters are disorienting because yeah. the main character is disoriented. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and then it begins to come together. Yeah. And, uh, and it's the hardest work I've ever done. Um, the last five chapters yeah. are among the most beautiful thing I've ever done. And, um, yeah, I was, and about, I was about to ask you that too. Um, I even heard you mention that it was your most difficult book to write. Though. Why is that? That's because one, it's a forty-year-plus question that I've been wrestling with. Okay. Two, it's it's a conversation that is is absolutely embedded into the human psyche mm-hmm. on so many different levels. Lots of scholarship, lots of work, and um, lots of the hierarchical, you know, self-justification stuff that um, that men do yeah. are around this. The book is not intent. It's not a man-bashing book at all. It's sure. in fact. The whole point is to say maybe there's a different way to look at our humanity that allow a different conversation than the one we've been having, but to keep it inside a story that's accessible to a teenager, yeah, that was hard. That was really, really rough. And um, and um, so my main character is a 15 year old girl. That's the only way that I could find a way to do this. And and Lily turns out to be absolutely <laughs> amazing yeah, and yeah. astounding. Yeah. Yep. No, that, that's cool. You know, once again, you, you mentioned it earlier that The Shack's going to be a movie. You know, can you tell us a little bit about it? Like who'll be starring um, in it? Yeah, it's Lionsgate's The Production House, so it's nice. no little thing. It's nice. uh, Gil Netter, who did Life of Pi, Marley Me, Blind Side. Oh, I, I love that. Is the producer, yep. Uh, Stuart Hazeldean from the UK is the director. Huh. Actors include uh, Octavia Spencer, who was in The Help and Red Band Society and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, mm. If you remember in The Help, she makes pies. Yeah, so yeah, Papa, yeah. <laughs> you know, belongs in the kitchen. And, mm. and <laughs> so nice. um, um, Sam Worthington plays Mac. He's Avatar. Oh, and yeah. Uh, uh, Rada Mitchell, who was in uh, Man on Fire and hmm. with Denzel and Pitch yeah. Black with Vin Diesel, plays uh, mm. Nan. Uh, Willie, Willie um, is played by Tim McGraw. Uh, Aviva Lush, an actor from Tel Aviv, uh, Mm. plays Jesus, and we think he's the first Jew to actually play Jesus in a major motion picture. (laughs) Sune is a Japanese-Hawaiian, plays the Holy Spirit. Um, It's just top-notch. It was shot this summer. It's in post-production right now. Oh, nice. Target release date is August 12th. Yeah. You were there on the set? Oh, how cool Uh is that? That's I. Oh my God! That's so cool. I can't even begin to tell you how <laughs> how feel and cool it is. It's yeah. Like, wait, are wait, you when kidding is it, me? I know, right? I mean, how, when is that coming out? August twelfth is the oh, is the year. initial release date. Yep, oh, initial wow. release date, and what? it'll be that oh, or Thanksgiving. Okay, dude, I can't wait to see the trailer for that. Oh man! Oh, me too. <laughs> we, have, we have to wait till the Star Wars trailer comes. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Settles down. Let, let that yeah. die down for a while. <laughs> No, that's cool. So what's next for you, Paul? You know, are you doing a book tour for you? 
I, I just came off of it for Eve, and uh, which was amazing and and wonderful being with people who who are engaged. And then um, I'm working on a companion. Simon and Schuster has asked me to do a companion that has outtakes because I there's like fifty thousand words oh. I took out of the manuscript okay. that aren't in Eve. And uh, the book's on, you know, Eve is 73,000 wow. words. So, um, like a reflection, so, like the shack? A, yeah, kind of like that. Okay. Yes. Uh, or, you know, Eve revisited or oh, cool. Eve face to face. It's outtakes, extras, and background. And oh, so cool. to, to try to deal with some of the questions that immediately arise when people go, like, is this guy just crazy or, <laughs> or what? No. And then um, there's another little book that, um, that I am under contract to do that that'll, um, I'm hope both of these will be done by the end of the year as far as first manuscripts. And the other one is called Words You'll Never Hear God Say. Mm. And uh, it's just looking at negative space to try to get a conversation for um, seeing things with wow. different eyes. And wow. um, Yeah, awesome. so that's really cool. And then who knows, you know? Yeah. Everything is just the grace of a day. So Of course, I, yeah. You know, how, how can my listeners keep in touch with you? What's your website? Um, all right, W.M. Paul Young. So W.M. for William, because it is actually my first name, but I've yeah. always gone by Paul. Yeah. So com. that'll connect you into all of it, like Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff oh, cool. that I have okay. no real understanding of. But, <laughs> but you're everywhere. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool. So you guys be sure to check out Paul Young's book, you know, The Shack, Crossroads, and his latest book, Eve. Um, if you'd like to support this show financially, you can go to patreon.com, uh, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash Joshua Tongle. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast, uh, write a review and rate it because it's going to help reach a wider audience. And it also encourages me because I read every single one of them. And of course, please share this podcast with your friends. And so, Paul, it's been an honor, man. You know, I appreciate your heart and the conversation. Salama, Paul. Ah, salama. You're, you're welcome. That means thank you at Tagalog, guys. So she, he knows that. So. Or I can say... <laughs> good enough good enough <laughs> it's okay because i'm not fluent either <laughs> you know, so you know <laughs> so thank you paul and the conversations your books have created uh, for a lot of people man you know i just love the way you share the stories and you have a beautiful heart and you know just thanks so much for being on the show honored joshua blessings on your day thank you thank you alrighty guys once again thanks for listening and i'll catch you guys on the flip side all right i'm out peace